You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Ephesians chapter number four. We're continuing our series entitled Alive Together. If you've missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up at our website at whoecallit.org. Subscribe to our podcast uh, via the iTunes app or the whatever podcast app you use on your phone. Uh, Stay caught up that way. Uh, You can always uh, get caught up that way. And I encourage you, Ephesians is such a power-packed passage of scripture. If you've never read through the full book of Ephesians, you can do that this week. It probably would only take you maybe 30 minutes or so. Uh, There's only six chapters there, but six full of, uh, of great truth uh, there in your Bible. Ephesians chapter four is where we find ourselves today. Last week, we took a look at how God has uh, gifted verse number 11, a, a pastor, spiritual leader, spiritual guidance in our life to, to guide us and keep us on track and to lead us in the right direction. If you missed that, listen to that. Uh, it'll help you understand uh, my role as, as your pastor, if, if I'm the pastor, your pastor, uh, to help guide you spiritually into finding your greatest joy uh, in walking with Jesus. Uh, today, we're taking a look at, uh, I've entitled today's message, Why Every Christian Needs to Decide. And so we'll find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. And we'll go through verse number 16 this morning. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. We henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even to Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, Make it the increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. My parents uh, w- did not grow up in Christian homes. Uh, they both grew up in really dysfunctional homes of uh, alcoholic, abusive fathers and things like that. And uh, my mom uh, was... Uh, one of her stepmothers had actually taken her to church when she was a teenager. Uh, my, uh, my grandfather on my mother's side was married seven times. Uh, and one of his, uh, his wives uh, took my mom uh, to church when she was about a 16-year-old girl. And uh, she met my dad at church uh, where they, my dad had uh, not really grown up in a Christian home either. My grandmother was a Christian, but uh, was just trying to do her best to, to lead him, the family in the way that it should go. And uh, my grandfather on my dad's side was an abusive alcoholic and really wanted nothing to do with the things of God whatsoever. And these uh, two teenagers met at church together and they ended up uh, getting married and my parents said uh, when they got married if we if we God ever gives us children we'll make sure that our kids are in church every time the doors are open and so me and my brother Tim uh, were in church every single time the doors were open because a couple of kids uh, made a decision when they first got married I would encourage you with this uh, in your relationship make a decision in your marriage relationship dating relationship whatever it be that you're going to found things on Jesus Christ it's a foundation that will never fail you Uh, marriage relationships will always have difficulty but Jesus never fails don't ever forget that if we build ourselves on a sure foundation we're good to go so uh, my, my parents, not really knowing what it meant to have a Christian home, just it was kind of the opposite of what they grew up in, kind of did their best. And so uh, they would um, take me and my brother to church and try to, they, my, both my parents live very good moral lives. Uh, but we never really, I never knew what it meant until I was probably an adult to actually walk with God. At nine years old, uh, I had accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. I realized the penalty of my sin was uh, death in hell. I realized that uh, there was no way that I could save myself. I put my faith in Jesus Christ alone to save me at nine years old. Now at nine, I didn't fully grasp the full uh, depths and the riches of the, the word of God. I didn't fully understand uh, the ideas behind the substitutionary atonement and things like that. I just knew that I was a sinner that needed help. And I knew that Jesus was my help. And so I put my faith in Jesus as a nine-year-old boy and kind of went on with life. Uh, and so we, uh, we opened the Bible when we went to church. And that was kind of the only time throughout the week that we needed the Bible was it was on Sundays and Wednesday nights. And uh, Wednesday night, we had a teen program for teenagers. And really, it was uh, about a five-minute devotional from the Bible and about an hour and a half of playing basketball. And so I loved Wednesday nights. Those were awesome. Uh, but uh, I, I never, I, I learned a lot about the Bible. Uh, for example, I, I learned all the books of the Bible as a, as a kid in, in my Sunday school class. Uh, we used to do uh, sword drills. How many of you know what sword drills are? Man, sword drills as a kid, 
Basically what they do is they would say, I want you to turn to Ezekiel 12, verse number one, the first person to turn there, one. And so like after a while, you knew exactly how your Bible fell. Like the second that I open, it's gonna open to this particular book and this particular chapter, and I'm gonna go from there, and you know what pages stuff are on, and you become very familiar with your Bible. And so uh, I did that as a kid, man, we did sword drills. Uh, We memorized a lot of scripture. Uh, We did a lot of that stuff. But what was missing for me? And you look at that and you go, oh, wow, that must have been nice to grow up like that. Yes and no, and let me tell you why. It was very good because I learned a lot about the Bible. I learned a lot about God. But let me just tell you this, I never knew God. See the difference there? It's different to actually know Jesus and know about Jesus. I know a lot about most of you guys here today. I know most of you where you work and your family and your kids' names and uh, some of your kids, how old they are and things like that. I know a lot about you, but you can probably say that I don't really know you on a deep level. Sometimes we get in the trap of being a Christian of knowing a lot about God, but not really knowing God. There's a big difference. For me, the thing that I was missing out on in my life was really knowing God. I knew a lot about God. I knew a lot about the Bible. I knew a lot of verses from the Bible. Man, I knew the the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, I knew a a lot of Bible stories, but I didn't know how to walk with Jesus. And I was probably in my early 20s and uh, a pastor was preaching on sin and how we need to get right from sin and repent from our sin. And he said, and some of you tonight need to get right with God. And I thought, that's the craziest statement I've ever heard in my life. Get right with God. And so I asked him after the service, can one be wrong with God? And he goes, yeah. And I go, how would you do that? He said, well, if there's sin in your life that you're not willing to repent of, that you continue in your sin, God is opposed to that and God hates your sin and it creates distance between you and God and you are not right with God. And I walked out, I was just blown away. Like, I thought God was love. I thought, I thought God was just like forgiving and gracious. Like I can create distance between me and God. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. And for the first time in my life, here's what I did. I went home and looked up something in the Bible for myself. First time ever. Mind you, I'm probably 23 years old at this point, maybe 23, 24 I went home and I looked up something in the Bible for myself. This was before you could actually Google stuff, like, can you be wrong with God, right? Uh, this is, you would probably typed it into your uh, Alta Vista search engine, if you know what I mean, right? But I, I, I went home and I looked it up and I began to look that sure enough, God says that, you know, I can do anything that I want to. There's nothing too hard for the Lord, but I've separated and turned my face from you because of your sin. And I just looked at that and go, whoa, We never memorized this verse in Sunday school class. Nobody ever taught me this. They taught me about Noah's Ark. They taught me about Daniel and the lion's den. They taught me a lot of stuff, but I never knew that my sin could mess things up between me and God. It was heavy. And so I kept going. And again, you will be helped when you go to a Bible preaching church that preaches the Bible and teaches you how to live your life. I promise you that. But I found week after week as I began on my own to get into the Bible, God opened up a whole new world for me. It was more than just turning to to, to, uh, books of the Bible. It was more than just memorizing verses to get a a piece of candy or to, I remember we uh, had to memorize verses from the book of James. This was one of my favorites. Uh, We had to memorize verses from the book of James. And if you got all your verses right over a six-week period, the teacher took you to Dairy Queen to get a blizzard. Oh man, that was my favorite. This was back in the day when they would actually turn it upside down for you, right? How many of you remember that? Like they would actually turn it upside down without fear of it falling out, right? And those were the days. I mean, you put uh, me and food together, you've got an automatic win, right? But I realized I knew a lot about the Bible, but I didn't know the Bible. I knew a lot about God. I was a child of his, but I didn't really know who my dad was, to, to, to say it that way. And I began at probably 22, 23, 24 years old, this journey of what we're gonna take a look at today that's called discipleship. Now the word disciple means a follower, a student of a teacher, a leader, or a philosopher. In our application here, it means someone who's a committed follower of Jesus. I'll often use the example when I talk to people and I say, I'm a, say for example, a person is a disciple of Bruce Lee right? I used to love when I was a kid watching kung fu movies, and it didn't bother to me that they were all dubbed uh, over and stuff like that. I loved it. Man, it was so much fun to watch those as a kid. But imagine I tell you that I'm a, a disciple of Bruce Lee, and you say, well, what's your favorite Bruce Lee movie? And I go, uh, the one where he fights Chuck Norris in the stadium. I forget what the name of that is. And you're like, you don't know the name of the movie? And I'm like, nah, nah, I've just only seen it once. You say, how can you be a disciple if you've only seen it once? You wouldn't really be the disciple, right? 
Uh, well, what's your favorite uh, villain against Bruce Lee? Uh, I don't really, I can't think of him. You know, one of those guys that wore the sunglasses or something. I don't know. It's, it's like, no, you don't actually have a favorite? It's like, no, not really. Now, if I told you that I was a disciple of Bruce Lee, you'd expect to go to my closet and open it up and there'd be like yellow jumpsuits all the way through there, right? You'd expect me to have like posters in my room. Uh, you'd expect me to, even as an adult, enjoy watching these and tell everybody about the, my favorite Bruce Lee movie and the best part about it. Have you ever seen the one where he fights Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? That was awesome, uh, right? Uh, but you would imagine if I'm a disciple, I know everything that there is to know. I'm committed to this and I want to know more every opportunity that I get. And I want other people to know too about a great passion that I have. That would be a disciple. Now, sometimes in the Bible, I used to do this again as a kid, just knowing a lot about the Bible, knowing a lot of Bible stories, I get too confused. The word disciple and apostle are different things. Sometimes we say that Jesus had 12 disciples. You could call the disciples or the apostles disciples. The Bible certainly does. But Jesus had, at times, thousands of disciples that would follow him everywhere that he went, that were fully committed to him and walking with him. Uh, John uh, chapter 6, we see thousands of disciples stop following Jesus and never walked with him ever again after that. And so the word disciple doesn't necessarily mean the same as apostle. The apostles were disciples, uh, but all of his disciples weren't apostles. Does that make sense? Some of you are like, uh, I think so. Know this, uh, we're not being called to apostleship today. We're calling to discipleship. God's not asking you to go and follow him and do miracles and signs and wonders and things like that. He's calling you today to be a committed follower of him. Now, when we look at the term discipleship, this is the process of becoming a committed follower of Jesus and teaching others to do the same. That's what discipleship looks like. Discipleship is a process of becoming a committed follower of Jesus. Now, for us, we have a program that we call our discipleship program. Here, it's our continue uh, discipleship program. If you come on a Wednesday night or uh, sometimes days throughout the week, you'll find a couple of people sitting down at a table together talking about the Bible, talking about major doctrines of the Bible. Where is the Bible? Where did we get, where did we get the Bible from? How can we trust it? How do we know it's reliable? Who wrote the Bible? Uh, is it written by God or is it written by man? Where did sin come from? Why do we need to be saved from our sin? What's the penalty of sin? Uh, what about, uh, you know, the church? Do we really have to go to church to be a Christian? What is discipleship all about? What about sin in my life? How do I fix that? And we go over a 14-week period or longer uh, in some cases and talk about what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Now, mind you, this is a program that we have to get people started on the path, but discipleship does not finish when you complete a course. Uh, discipleship does not finish whenever you uh, finish filling in all the blanks in your book. Discipleship is finished whenever you get to see Jesus face to face. It's a lifelong journey. It's been said before that salvation is the miracle of a moment, but discipleship is the journey of a lifetime. Salvation, you can become a child of God in an instant, but becoming a committed follower of Jesus, that's gonna take you the rest of your life. For me as a pastor, uh, I've been saved for uh, over 30 years. Uh, I've been a pastor for almost five years now. I'm still on a journey of discipleship. I've gone to four years of Bible college. I have a degree in Bible. I'm still on a journey of discipleship. I'm never going to say, checked off, done, good to go, I'm moving on to the next thing. No, no, no. It's a constant growing process. And we must all commit to a lifetime of discipleship. Now, you gotta get started somewhere. That's what our uh, discipleship program is all about. It, it's a kind of a jumping on point. It's kind of an on-ramp to knowing what the Bible says and what you believe and why you believe it. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship, for sure, because we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. For some folks who have uh, maybe never taken our course, but you say, I'm solid in my faith, I know my stuff, I would encourage you to do this. Uh, go through discipleship so you see how we do it and then teach someone else. That's the idea behind it. The idea is not that the pastor would stand up and disciple everyone. Discipleship is a one-on-one -on -one relationship that people have. Paul had someone who discipled him. You know who it was? Jesus himself. And can you imagine that? I mean, any question you got, you can ask him yourself. Paul saw Jesus after he had resurrected. And Jesus taught Paul one-on-one. -on -one. Talk about discipleship, man. That's the good stuff right there. But you know what Paul did? Paul then took what he had learned and taught somebody else. He taught Timothy. He taught Titus. He taught Barnabas. He taught Silas. He had other men that he was investing in. 
And you know what he told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number two, the things you've seen in my life, I want you to teach these to other faithful men who can teach others also. It's this constant passing down of our faith from one person to the next, to the next, to the next. Uh, over the course of the last five years here at Hui Kala, we've had the opportunity to see over 200 people go through our discipleship program. Now, if I were the one responsible for, for leading every single person through it, it would take forever. We'd be at like 10 instead of 200. But because we've been able to teach others who are teaching others, that's the way discipleship should work. You see, to follow Jesus means that I must stop going my own way. This is the beginning of discipleship. Now, I don't set the rules or the guidelines for discipleship. Jesus himself already did that. He said this, if any man will come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, I have to stop going my own way. This is very difficult for many of us. We are prone to rebellion. We desire to do our own thing and go our own way. And this is nothing that's unique to our society. Uh, the Bible even says, all you like sheep have gone astray. That all of us want to just do our own thing. And that's what got us in the mess that we're in to begin with. The Bible says that everything was perfect before the fall of man. Man lived in the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden with God. There was no sin. They talked with God uh, the same way that uh, you and I would have a conversation. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no tem temptation other than the one piece of fruit that they couldn't eat in the middle of the garden. <laughs> My daughter, Michaela, and I were talking last night, and I uh, you know how kids like always wax theological at bedtime? You know, you don't want to talk about the Bible at like six o'clock in the evening. You don't want to talk about it over dinner. It's when it's time to go to bed. Everybody's been tucked in. I've got your water glass beside your bed. We've already prayed and I'm getting ready to walk out the room. Then you got these deep theological questions in, right? I'm walking out of her room last night after we've done all those things. And I'm walking out. She was like, dad, I have a question. And I said, go to sleep. And here's what she said. But it's about the Bible. <laughs> And what do you say to that, right? What do you say, you know? And so I said, okay, and we went in and sat back down. And she said, so in the Garden of Eden, she said, there was no sin. I go, right. And she said, and there was no death, right? I go, right. And she said, and so Adam and Eve could eat of all of the fruit and the trees in the garden that they wanted to, right? I go, right. And she goes, okay. And she goes, so if there's no death, then no animals died, right? I go, right. And she goes, so if no animals died, that means there was no steak and no bacon, right? Right? So maybe something good did come out of sin, right? I mean, what do you say to that bacon? I mean, really, like, it, I said, sweetheart, it just goes to show that God can take really bad situations and make really good things out of them. Now go to bed, Right? I thought to myself, man, if man hadn't sinned, there would be no bacon. That would be a terrible world to live in, right? <laughs> Re rewind anyways. Everything was perfect. There was no sin until man chose to rebel against God. I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. And because of our sin, and because every one of us has sinned against God, because of that, there are consequences of our sin. When we die, we will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's what we've earned as a result of our sin. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That Jesus Christ came and died in our place to save us from our sins so that we don't have to go to hell, so we no longer have to go our own way, so we no longer have to be alienated from God. He died for me, he died for you so that we can be saved from our sin. Now, most of you in this room here today, I know your story and I know how God saved you. Uh, some of you got saved here at Hui Kala Baptist Church. Some of you decided to start walking with Jesus here at Hui Kala Baptist Church, and I'm thankful for that. But if you're a child of God, it doesn't stop the day you get saved. That's just the beginning. It doesn't end whenever you put your faith in Jesus. That's when everything really begins. And oftentimes when people will come here and accept Christ as Savior, I'll say, this is just the beginning of what God wants to do through your life. The next thing that God wants you to do is he wants you to follow him as a committed follower and that process we call discipleship. You see, to follow Jesus, I must be willing to make a sacrifice. Let me tell you this, and you should write this down, and you should probably uh, ponder this throughout the week and throughout the rest of your life. Following Jesus will always cost you something. 
The idea that I come to Jesus and everything magically works itself out. That I come to Jesus and all my relationships are fixed. I come to Jesus and my finances are better than they've ever been. I come to Jesus and then everything is magically better. Couldn't be further from the truth. The idea that I come to Jesus and all my dreams are fulfilled. Um, I come to Jesus and I get that promotion that I've always wanted. I come to Jesus and everybody just likes me more. Couldn't be further from the truth. It will cost you something. You say, well, okay, well, how much does it cost? I was talking to someone several years ago about being a committed follower of Jesus. And I, want, I said, I want to encourage you in your church attendance to be faithful to church, uh, not just kind of every other Sunday or, or once a month or whenever you get the, the time or whenever you feel like it. Be committed to following Jesus. And she said, well, I got a lot of stuff that I do on the weekends and I'm kind of busy and stuff like that. I said, I get that. Everybody's busy. I said, I don't know if there's anybody in our church that's not busy. I said, but make it a priority. And she goes, oh, well, I wish somebody had told me in the beginning that following Jesus meant I had to give up my Sunday mornings. And I said, oh, I think you've, you've far miscalculated what it takes to follow Jesus. Following Jesus doesn't mean that you're gonna have to just give up your Sunday mornings. It means you're gonna have to give up your life. And she was just like, well, that's pretty heavy. Oh yeah, it's heavy. And she said, well, I don't think that's fair of you to say that. Hey, I didn't say it. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself means you give up everything to follow Jesus, everything. To take up your cross. What do people use crosses for? Today, they're cute pieces of jewelry or a design we put on a, a purse or something like that. But a cross is an instrument of execution. It's how you kill somebody. And so Jesus says, if you wanna follow me, you have to, first of all, deny yourself. Secondly, you have to be willing to put yourself to death to die to your own dreams, hopes, goals, aspirations, everything you want from life to come after him. And then you have to follow. You say, well, I don't necessarily want to do that. Then you will miss out on the greatest joy of your life. The greatest joy. Not everybody is a, is a disciple of Jesus. Just because you attend church doesn't mean you're a disciple of Jesus. It's a decision you must make for yourself. And people came to Jesus again and again and again in the Bible one rich man came to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want eternal life. How do I get it? Jesus says, sell everything you got and come follow me. And he sat there for a minute and he was just like, no. And Jesus said, okay. And Jesus went on with his day. There is no plan B. There is no uh, lesser sacrifice that we can make. There's no part-time follower of Jesus. Jesus wants your commitment. He wants you to be fully engaged. Following Jesus always costs you something. As we take a look at our past description in Ephesians chapter four here this morning, I want you to take a look at a few things. First of all, take a look at verse number 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. First thing I want you to see is that discipleship strengthens our church. I don't know that I'd ever heard the term discipleship until I was probably in my early 20s. I never heard somebody talk about the life of a disciple. I'd never heard of this process of teaching someone their faith so that they could live it out in their lives. Now, mind you, the home that I grew up in, uh, we didn't read the Bible throughout the week. We prayed at mealtimes unless somebody that we knew was sick, and then we'd pray for them. Uh, but basically, we, we went to church, and that's how we worshiped, and that's all we did is worship. Throughout the week, we kind of did our own thing. We listened to our own music. We watched our own TV shows that we wanted to watch. And uh, we, we just kind of lived our life. And, but church was kind of a, a Sunday and Wednesday thing. And we built our life around a program instead of a person. I think my parents probably did the best that they knew how to do. We weren't allowed to curse in our home. There's no alcohol allowed in our home. Our, our, me and my brother weren't allowed to go to parties in high school where there were going to be alcohol. Our parents weren't going to be around and things like that. My parents did the best that they knew how. I think looking back, they'd say that they made a lot of mistakes and would do things differently today. But the thing that I missed out on was discipleship. As a result, the church that I grew up in was an incredibly weak spiritual church. I never heard of anyone getting saved outside of kids in the church that I grew up in. The only people who ever got baptized ever were children. I was in my 20s before I ever saw an adult get baptized. And I thought to myself, wow, I didn't know that really was a thing. That's an incredibly mark, uh, it's a mark of an incredibly healthy church. When adults come to salvation and baptism in their adult years, it's a very, very healthy thing. But if this church is made up of a bunch of casual Sunday morning Christians who churches were just one of the things they do, they get together, they sit for a bit, they sing a few songs, they go home, then we will never be the church that Jesus intended us to be. 
We're not to be a gathering for entertainment. We're not to be something to do on Sunday. We're to be a group of people who gather together for the purpose of changing the world by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. But it doesn't happen with marginally committed Christians. It doesn't happen with with people who are one foot into church and one foot in the world. It doesn't happen with people who are just like, ah, I'll give this a shot and see how it works out. It happens when we together commit to this idea of growing in my commitment to Jesus. First of all, we see in this passage here uh, that we have a unity in our faith. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of faith. You know what that means? That means when it comes to the Bible, we're all singing off the same sheet of music. When it comes to what we believe about the Bible, we're all connected together. And I often tell people who we call a Baptist church is not for everyone. If you don't believe what we believe about the Bible, then you should find a church that believes what we believe about the Bible. Simple as that. Christians differ on what they believe. We believe that this is the infallible, inerrant word of God, that it's perfect from cover to cover. There's no problems in it whatsoever. There's nothing that needs to be fixed or adjusted uh, to fit our society today. We don't make apologies for what the Bible says in the fact that we don't say, well, this book was written about 2,000 years ago, so we just need to adjust it to the way that our world is. No, 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 the Bible is the Bible is the Bible. We submit ourselves to the authority of the Bible. And you say, well, I'm looking for something a little bit more progressive, then, then this probably would not be the church for you. If you're looking to live in accordance to what the scripture says, if you're looking to live in accordance to God's plan, then we must be all on the same page when it comes to our faith, what we believe And the Bible says that there's unity there. It strengthens us. And one of the things that you learn through a process of discipleship is what you believe and why you believe it. I'll admit, I was a a 22-year-old baby Christian. I just knew what I believed because somebody told me one time. My wife got saved when she was 13 years old at a Baptist revival and then went back to a church that did not preach the Bible or the gospel or anything else. And when the two of us got married, we got married as baby Christians. I knew a bunch of Bible stories and I knew the books of the Bible. She knew nothing whatsoever. And we were just trying to make it together, baby, baby Christians. And we began on this process of discipleship together. And she'd say, well, well do we believe this? Well, we believe this because why? I, I don't know. It's what my dad told me when I was a kid. I remember my Sunday school teacher one time told me this, so that's what I believe. And those hold water for a minute, but it won't take you for the long haul. There must come a point where you believe what you believe because the Bible says so. There must come a point where you believe what you believe because God has revealed it to you through his word, not because somebody told you so. And so for us, our discipleship program, you sit down with a lot of Bible. You're constantly flipping to passages of scripture. And what most people will happen when they start their discipleship, they'll have to look a lot of books up in in the table of contents in the front of their Bible, and that's okay. Let me just tell you this. Pull over here for a second. Public service announcement. If you ever need to look up a book of the Bible in the table of contents, don't feel bad about that. If you have to to buy the tabs that they stick on the edge of the pages that show you where the books of the Bible is, never feel bad about that. You know what you're saying by looking at the table of contents or putting tabs in your Bible? You're saying, I want to learn. And that's an incredibly healthy thing. I've been in churches before where, you know, they say, oh, you know, turn to the book of uh, Ezekiel. And somebody flips to the table of contents and starts looking at people like, oh, Ezekiel, everybody knows where Ezekiel's at, right? (laughs) But I've been in churches too, uh, where if you said, hey, turn to the book of Hezekiah, people would tear their Bible apart trying to find the book of Hezekiah, right? Let me just help you. It's not there, right? (laughs) And that's okay. Growth takes time. No one here is at the same level as someone else. It's a constant journey that we're on. But I hope all of us are on the journey somewhere. I hope all of us are constantly looking for ways that we can improve. Secondly, discipleship strengthens our church because we know Jesus. Let me say it this way. The church is made up of believers who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's what makes the church. A gathering at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning does not constitute the church. The church is made up of the people. But to be a part of the people who make up the church, you have to be a child of God. You have to know Jesus. 
And if you're here today and you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, please do not leave until you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has forgiven you of your sin and that you are saved. But we're unified here because we know Jesus. But thirdly, we're making changes in our lives to be more like Jesus. To know Jesus is salvation. To make changes in your life to be more like Jesus is called sanctification. The word sanctify literally means to be set apart, to be separated from, to be taken out of and set to the side. The idea is this, that you and I would make decisions every single day to be more like Jesus, every single day. And that we would be able to look back six months ago and see a pattern of growth in our life. That we'd be able to look back from 12 months from now and see a pattern of growth in our life. None of us will ever be perfect, but that's the goal is to be like Jesus. You take a look at verse number 13 again, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm trying to be like Jesus, and that requires change. It requires that my mind would change, that my heart would change, that my actions would change. And that's a process that takes time. Again, salvation is a miracle of a moment, but discipleship is the journey of a lifetime. Secondly, we see in uh, verse number 14 that discipleship protects us. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Discipleship protects us because being strong in our faith keeps us from being led astray. Trust me, there are far more entertaining preachers out there than the one that you're stuck with this morning, okay? And so if you're looking for entertainment, uh, you can look elsewhere for that. There's a guy attending church here for a while, and uh, he, uh, he started missing several Sundays, and I did what a good pastor should do. I followed up on him and said, hey, man, just wanted to let you know I was praying for you and thinking of you. Is there anything I can do to help? And he said, I've been looking for another church. And I said, okay. I said, well, our church isn't for everybody. I hope you find where God wants you to be. And he said, well, don't you want to know why? Well, of course I want to know why. Tell me. When I first started coming to the church, you were super funny. You'd tell all kinds of jokes and stories and stuff. And he says, honestly, for the last couple of Sundays I was there, you weren't very funny. And so I'm just looking for a church with a more lighthearted pastor. Okay? <laughs> if you're looking to be entertained, I'm not going to entertain you every Sunday. I'm just not. If you're looking to hear what the Bible says with probably a little bit of humor here and there mixed in and some really good bacon jokes too, um, you're probably in the right place. But here's the thing. If you're looking for entertainment, you'll be led astray. Sometimes I, uh, I, I like to, to flip through what would be a considered religious television. I think the majority of it is garbage, uh, just to tell you. But just to turn on, sometimes you see some pastors that are really, really funny to watch, you know? You see like a pastor, you get up there and he says, and when Moses, and they play the organ behind him, like, dun, 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 like you're at a baseball game, you know? And Moses walked, dun, dun, dun. And he kept on walking, dun, dun, dun. So I'm just going to walk. Everybody says, oh, amen, walk, brother, walk. I'm going to walk. I'm going to start walking. Amen, can I get in? They start waving hankies and amen. They start playing the organ like crazy. And I watch that and I go, I could watch this all day. This is highly entertaining. But I realize at the end of it, there's no biblical substance there. It was a lot of fun to watch, but I feel bad for people that that's their pastor. That every week is just a bunch of hanky-waving, organ-playing, hooping and hollering about nonsense. There wasn't a shred of biblical truth in anything that he said, but it was a 45-minute, highly entertaining. And here's the thing. If you don't know the Bible, you might say, that sounds like a lot of fun. I should go to a church like that. But if you know anything about being a committed follower of Jesus, you go, wait a minute. Is he ever going to get to the gospel? Is he ever going to talk about what Jesus did? Is he ever going to talk about heaven or hell or forgiveness or repentance? Is he ever going to say the word sin? And discipleship allows you to be more discerning. And if that doesn't happen, you take a look at verse number 14. It says, henceforth we be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. That I'm not going to allow myself to get sucked into false doctrine because I know better. 
Hopefully, if you go to a church where they say, hey, the more money you give, the more you'll be blessed. Give God more money, and he's gonna shower blessings upon you. You're probably gonna get your money back this week. I hope most of you would be able to say, that's a bunch of junk. We give because Jesus is worthy. We give out of love and worship and adoration, not because we think we'll get something back from God. And that keeps us from being pulled about by every wind of doctrine. Turn your, your Bibles over to the book of uh, Galatians. It's one uh, book before where you're at in Ephesians. Galatians chapter one. <laughs> Here's the thing. Paul had actually pastored at the church at Galatia and he left. And the second that he left, people got off track. False teachers came into the church and they got sucked into bad teaching. Galatians chapter one, verse number six. He says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. He goes on to say this, verse number eight, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we preached unto you, let him be accursed. He said this, guys, I was just with you and now you're following another Jesus. And he's not another Jesus. You're following another gospel and there is no other gospel. Verse number eight is really important because he says this, though another angel from heaven come and give you another gospel, don't take it. Why is this interesting? Because the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which we call the Mormons, was founded by a guy who saw a vision of an angel in the woods and the angel told him, there are no true churches left. I give you another message. Write this down and wrote down a new, uh, a new gospel on golden tablets in the middle of the woods, which is known as the Book of Mormon. If you flip open the Book of Mormon, it'll say another testament of Jesus Christ or another gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, it says this, if an angel himself gives you another gospel, don't take it. That's what the Bible says. But many people are just like, oh, they're just Christians like us. They just believe differently. No, 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 they believe in another Jesus. They believe in another gospel. And this keeps us from being pulled away and led astray. Go back to Ephesians chapter uh, four, if you would. Notice he says in verse number uh, 14 that we be henceforth no more children. He says, guys, I don't want you to be like little kids when it comes to knowing the gospel. First of all, that means he wants us to be mature in what we know. Secondly, kids have short attention spans, believe anything that you tell them, are easily moved to the next big thing. Our, our daughter Tallulah now, she is, uh, she'll, she'll be a year old next month. It's hard to believe. Uh, but she's now wanting to grab everything that she sees inside, everything. And so sometimes I'll hold her and I always have a pen in my pocket here. She'll grab my pen and she'll want to start chewing on it. And so if I take away the pen, she cries. But what we found now is that if you redirect her attention, I take away the pen, but I give her one of her toys. She doesn't cry. It's like, ooh, yeah. So now to take something away, you have to give her something else instead. And you know what? She cries for the, the lost pen for all of two seconds. Now she's got something else. Don't take God's word and bounce onto something else to the next thing and lose and forget what you were taught is what the Bible says. Don't be like kids that have such a short attention span that you're just looking for the next big thing because you will find the next big thing but be strong. Next, being strong in our faith roots us in strong doctrine. He says he doesn't want us to be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. The word doctrine means a set of beliefs that we believe to be true from the Bible. It's a set of beliefs that we have. For example, the doctrine of our church would be that salvation is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He is God in the flesh. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. We believe that Jesus came to die for the sins of mankind. We believe that Jesus alone can save. These are doctrines that our church believes. You say, well, doesn't every church believe that? Unfortunately, no. So we have to know what we believe, why we believe it, and we have to be strong in our doctrine. Titus 1.9, uh, Paul tells Titus, who was a young pastor, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. Doctrine is the glue that holds our church together. What we believe about the Bible is the most important thing about our church and any other church that you go to. 
You should never go to a church with the intention of attending that church that you have not fully read their doctrinal statement, meaning what they believe about the Bible. But you know what's funny about churches today? Churches don't put their doctrinal statements on their websites anymore. You know what they do? They put pictures of their, their worship band. They put their hands in the air. They talk about uh, all these buzzwords that are really important these days to, to millennials and how to reach people and catch people and put on a really big show and stuff. They don't talk about what they believe, though. The Bible says be wary of that. You don't want to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Hey, you want to know what our church believes? It's on our website. If you say, I want to know more than that, I've got a 28-page church constitution and bylaws that you're welcome to read through. I'll give it to you if you want to read it. That's what we believe. Here's the thing too. I've had people who have said, Pastor, I'd like to make an appointment and talk through that 28-page document with you. We went through line by line and talked about it. I love stuff like that because I want you to know what you believe and why you believe it. I don't just go here because they got a good kids program. I don't just go there because they got a good uh, worship and praise team. I want to go somewhere where the Bible's being preached. I want to be in a place where I can grow to know Jesus better and serve him more. That's the goal of discipleship and being strong in our faith keeps us from being pulled away by false doctrine. Being strong in our faith protects us also from false teachers. Matthew 7, 15 says this, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. I'm gonna tell you something here today that is a not popular statement to make, but I'm gonna make it anyways. Just because somebody claims to be a teacher and a follower of Jesus does not make it so. That there are teachers in our city, in the United States, in our world today that are messengers of Satan that are deceiving people from the truth. You say, well, that's a pretty harsh thing to say. I didn't say it. Jesus himself said it. Paul goes on to say this, that Satan himself can turn himself into an angel of light, and he also has teachers who do the exact same thing. There are people who use the title pastor that are leading people astray from the truth of the word of God. There are churches that call themselves churches of Jesus Christ that are pulling people away from the truth of the word of God. There are people who call themselves spiritual leaders that are leading people to a path of destruction, wrath, and ultimately hell. They call themselves Christians. You say, well, how do you know the difference? Right here. Does it line up with this? If it lines up with this, then they're solid. If it doesn't line up with this, I'm gonna say this, and I know it's probably gonna hurt some people's feelings when I say it. If you don't line up with this, you're a false teacher. You say, Pastor, that's harsh. Jesus said it, simple as that. I had a guy one time who says, uh, you know, Pastor, do you really believe that our church is 100% right on everything that comes to matters of doctrine? And I go, yes. And he goes, what if there was something that we weren't right on? And I said, we would repent of it and make it right. Simple as that. And he says, so you really believe that we're right on everything? I do. Otherwise, we'd change to be right. We can't just do it because it's the way we've always done or it's what's comfortable for us. We must be committed to sound doctrine because it protects us from false teachers. People have asked me before, you know, why don't we uh, get together with all these other churches on the island and have a big, you know, prayer service and stuff like that and have a big preaching service together. And we could rent out Aloha Stadium and hold hands with all these other people. First of all, I, don't, I couldn't do that because I don't know the doctrinal statement of everybody there, but the majority of the people that would be there that would call themselves Christians aren't Christians at all. I've met people before who go to false teaching churches that I ask them a question. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? They say, I don't know. Has there been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again? No, not really. How certain are you that heaven's your home? 50-50. Has your pastor ever talked to me about the gospel? Oh, yeah, he talks about how the gospel's good news. What is the gospel? I don't know. Okay. And you find out, I met a lady several years ago. She was the, the uh, pianist at a Methodist church. I said, how long have you been the pianist there? She said, 25 years. I said, great. I said, tell me about when you got saved. And she goes, what do you mean? She said, I've been at the church for 25 years. No, no, no. Tell me about when you were, were saved, when you were born again. And she said, well, you know, the pastor asked me to be the organist there, and uh, I, you know, I, I played as an organ, and then I, I switched over to being the pianist, and I said, I'm not asking about playing any instrument whatsoever. When did you accept Christ as your Savior? And she sat there for a minute, and she goes, I don't know that I ever have. Really? So if you died today, are you sure you go to heaven? She says, I'm not. I went through the gospel, and this was when we were living in California. I went through the gospel with her, shared Jesus with her, and she got saved. 
You got a lady who's tw- been, been in the same church for 25 years and is not saved? So I can't necessarily say that just because somebody attends church or they're really committed in their faith that they know Christ is Savior because there are many false teachers out there that want to, to uh, lead people the wrong direction. How do you know the difference in discipleship? Next, discipleship develops us personally. Verse number 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, let me just say this. If it seems like I'm super fired up about false teachers, it's because I am, because it's, it's really important. It's eternally important. I'm not gonna go out of here and knock on somebody's door and they say, oh, I go to XYZ church down the road. And I'm gonna say, that's a false teaching church. Your teacher's a, a wolf in sheep. I wouldn't do that. And I hope you wouldn't either. Because this next verse says, speaking the truth in love. I'm fired up because we're family and we're having a family meeting this morning. I wanna challenge you on the importance of sound doctrine. And we don't go to a church because they got a flashy kids program or because they got Elmo dancing on the sidewalk, parking cars and stuff like that that gets our kids really excited. We go to a church because we love the Bible and we're for sound doctrine. And so I get fired up with that with you guys, but our goal is not to go out here and be mad at everybody. Please don't get, get that idea. Verse 15 says that we have to speak the truth in love. And I'm, I'm challenging you with this this morning because I love you and I care about you. And I don't wanna see you sucked into false doctrine and poor biblical teaching. Discipleship develops us personally. It helps mature us spiritually. Hey, you wanna be stronger physically? Start doing hard stuff. Go for a run. Start picking up heavy objects. Uh, start exercising and you will be stronger physically. You want to be stronger spiritually? Commit to a lifetime of discipleship. Discipleship is the gym. It's the weight room for the Christian life. Discipleship is where we grow. When I commit to the word and living by the word, and I do what it says even when it hurts and when it's uncomfortable and when it doesn't feel good and when it's not popular, that's what discipleship is. And that's how we grow spiritually Colossians chapter two, verse number six says, you therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you has been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. There's like four words in Colossians two there that talks about continuing to grow. Again, if you're just a Christian who got saved and just goes to church, you're missing out on what it means to be a Christian. It's the idea that we would continue to grow day after day, week after week, month after month. Now understand this, spiritual growth is not linear. It's not just always up and to the right. You're gonna go through periods where you, you don't read your Bible or you get frustrated or you doubt where you don't have the faith that you used to, but you have to come back again to continual, com, continual commitment to walking with Jesus. You got to. And most people's spiritual growth goes something like this. It's more of a zigzag than it is just an up and to the right. But, We have to continue to grow. Next, discipleship teaches us sound doctrine. Knowing the truth helps us to combat error. We already talked about that. If I know what's real, it's gonna be really easy to spot what's fake. Hey, if you know your faith and somebody says, well, there's another way to heaven other than Jesus, you'll say, "Uh uh-uh, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. Next, discipleship facilitates speaking the truth in love. The Bible says in John 1.14 that Jesus was God in the flesh, full of grace and truth. Jesus didn't back down on what was true, but he did it in a very gracious and loving way. And you and I must do the same as well. Next, we're only as strong as our weakest link. Verse number 16 talks about the fact that we would be built together, the whole body connected together, that the church is put together by Jesus himself. And we're only as strong as our weakest link. And so that's why everyone must commit to walking with Jesus. Everyone must commit to this idea of discipleship. Now, again, whether you sign up for a 14-week program or whether you um, commit to reading your Bible every day or commit to uh, a study of the Word of God, we all must continue to walk with Jesus. Our church will grow in love for God and love for others as we fulfill our role. Now, final thoughts here this morning. First question that I have for you is, are you a disciple? Really probably even before that, are you a child of God? Do you know for sure that you're saved? Secondly, are you a disciple? Are you a committed follower of Jesus or are you just kind of a fan? 
just kind of checking it out, just kicking the tires, just uh, kind of uh, gathering together. This makes me feel good. This is my happy place on church on Sunday morning. Or are you a committed follower of Jesus? Next, are you committed to personal growth and discipleship? What ways are you growing this week? I have several men in our church that I text throughout the week, say, hey, how's your walk with God going? What are you reading in your Bible this week? How can I pray for you this week? It's a commitment to discipleship, a desire to continue to grow. Final thought, who are you bringing along with you on this journey? Let me say this to you, parents, it's your responsibility to disciple your children. If you're here today and you say, well, my parents didn't really disciple me, mine didn't either, so I committed to discipleship another way. I want to grow. Angela and I had the opportunity to spend some time with one of the assistant pastors of the churches we went to. He and his wife, we didn't go through a curriculum, we didn't fill in blanks in a book. They just took us, uh, had us in their home, cooked a meal, we'd sit around the dinner table and talk about the Bible, and we'd have questions, and uh, they'd encourage us and help us. Pat and Jane Smith had such an impact in our life that who we call a Baptist church is here today because of the investment that they made in our lives in discipleship. They taught us what it meant to be committed followers of Jesus. And you know what we've done every day since then? We've tried to find other people that we could bring along with us on the journey. Other people that we've tried to teach the Bible. Other people we've tried to encourage to be committed followers of Jesus. And I need you to do the same. I would highly encourage you, if you've never gone through any type of formal discipleship program, the easiest, quickest on-ramp for you would be our discipleship program that we have. It's 14 weeks of your life uh, that will pay dividends for the rest of your life that uh, we do it primarily on Wednesday nights at seven o'clock. We have childcare here that's available. Our connect groups meet then at the same time. If you say, I wanna do it, but I can't do it on Wednesday nights at seven, let me know. We'll figure out somebody who has a, in their schedule can work it uh, in. There's, there's three folks that I disciple right now throughout the week that I make time with uh, throughout the week to, to sit down and, and do this because it's important. But what you can't do is just be content where you are. You have to continue to desire to move forward. And if you say, I'm strong in my faith, hey, Go through discipleship once to see how we do it and then teach somebody else uh, what you've learned, what God's already put in your life. The most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure that heaven's your home when you die, please let me know that because I wanna share truth with you today that will revolutionize your life here and the rest of your eternity as well. For the rest of us, let's start today on our discipleship journey. Let's continue on it together. Let's be faithful to the word this week, faithful in prayer, sharing our faith with other people, living like real deal committed Christians this week which is what God's called us to do.